tuned in to Senior Centric here on KZSM.org, True Community Radio. And uh, we're going to turn this over to Marianne Reese. Marianne. Thank you, Rob. Uh, I welcome you to Senior Centric. Uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, Senior Centric, our programs focus hopefully on things of interest to seniors, as the name implies. And we also hope to foster two very human traits, that being curiosity and caring. So again, thank you for joining us. My name is Marianne Reese. I'm the director of the Lifelong Learning Program here in San Marcos, Texas, as well as host of Senior Centric. And I welcome my sister, Becky D. Reese, who is with us. We'll hear from her a little later. And our community guest, Dr. Okay, I'm Yong Hee Chi. Pretty good? All right. Uh, she is a professor at Texas State University in the Department of Sociology. And our producer, Rob Rohr. Thank you, Rob, for handling the show for us. It's always. Well, uh, and I thank you for joining us. Uh, I know this is a busy time at the university. A final started? Yes. So do you have one today? <laughs> she, she gives them, not takes them. <laughs> I, I teach online classes only. Oh, okay. So I gave them yeah, take-home exams, so they're working on them. <laughs> Very good. So you, you get to enjoy them a little later on when you have to. <laughs> well, again, I thank you for joining us during this period of time especially. And, and I understand that a big focus of your research is on aging, but you have a theoretical or a lens of life perspective that, uh, what is it called, life course perspective, I believe. Right. Is that, am I? Yes, that is correct. Well, would tell us about this theoretical framework in your work. Sure. So, um, yeah, th this theoretical perspective is a sociological uh, lens, and it's an emerging uh, paradigm, actually, uh, in sociology, so uh, I was lucky enough to take a class on the life course sociology. But um, so uh, the one who has developed it uh, is still living, Dr. Glenn Elder Jr. A and uh, so it is uh, a dynamic theoretical lens in the sense that it looks at interactions between um, human biographies with the surroundings. Uh, so, you know, contexts. Uh, it could be social context, cultural, and historical context, and broadly, it could even be a global uh, hmm. context. And, and so it, it, it's a very uh, dynamic perspective in looking at uh, human life course. And there are different uh, principles involved in, in uh, using this theoretical lens. And, and I thought I would like to focus on one okay. <laughs> because it would be too much. But yeah, so uh, it, it's, uh, it's the principle of linked lives. Okay. What linked, linked to other people? Are you talking about linked to the, all the contextual elements you talked about? Okay, so in this case, it's uh, linked to uh, the lives of others who are close to you. So it's shared interdependent lives. So how, uh, for example, um, you know, uh, a 45-year-old woman uh, has a daughter who gave birth to a child. Suddenly, this 45-year-old uh, woman becomes a grandmother, right? <laughs> and that's an example of a linked life. 
okay. how uh, roles change because of your connections to those, you know, who are close to you. It could be closest friends, but typically it's family members. Well, how, again, how do you, so you study this basically through observation and interviews or, so what are you trying to get to? What, what are you trying to discover? Well, actually, it's, I, I myself have not really applied linked lives to doing my research. Okay. But as I was thinking about, you know, what to share today, I um, thought how, you know, there's need to study linked lives uh, as, you know, there are more, uh, there's, um, there are more generations within a family that are uh, coexisting. For example, you know, when um, my grandmother was still living, it was just three generations, my grandmother, my parents, and then us, right? But um, when my mother was still living, uh, there were as many as four generations, my mother, us, and then my sisters, uh, my siblings' children, and uh, one of them had children. So oh, wow. four generations. And so linked lives uh, have more significance, um, you know, in, in their uh, implications. So we are more connected intergenerationally. And well, what does that mean? You see, so I guess I'm giving some research questions <laughs> to <laughs> researchers of the life course perspective. So there are many different ways of using these principles, including linked lives. But you know, so far, you know, linked lives have been studied to see how you know, for a married couple, for example, uh, if one is sedentary. Uh, I'm talking about older couples. Mm -hmm. You know, if one person is sedentary, how the other person is likely to be sedentary as well. You see? Uh, so how we are connected in ways beyond our knowledge. Well, so when... All right, so I'll give an example from my life. Uh, when my mother was older, my father had died, she came to live with me for a while. And as she got older and dementia, it changed me. And what I was, had the energy and the focus to do. Is that, so, so if we know that happens, what do you do with that? Are you saying that this study is trying to give me, in this example, go, go do this, or how to break out of that link? Because that's not a positive link at, at, at some time. I mean... D does that make sense? I see. So you think that that kind of connection actually could impede your personal I think uh, freedom? Often it does. And, yes, it is very true. Yes. So in your case, it was your mother, but in you know, uh, in some other cases, it could be your spouse. Mm -hmm. and, Absolutely. Yeah. And women are more. So I, you know, I, I was thinking about gender differences as well. And women are the ones who tend to become caregivers of their aging parents as well as aging spouse, not to mention, of course, you know, children when right. they're younger. So um, going back to your question about, you know, whether or not it's good, right? And of course, it's a challenge because you have to change. Your roles change. You used to be a daughter and, you know, it was sort of a recipient 
of love, but then you know you may be, you may think that you're taking on the role of a parent, and that's very hard for both you and your mother. Uh, yes. It's hard to you know break that hierarchy, right? Traditional mm-hmm. uh, hierarchy, yes. but um, so you know adjustment is difficult, uh, and. But then, you know, I'm trying always, I'm always trying to look for silver linings. And <laughs> it, it, it could be an opportunity for uh, personal growth. Uh, it could be an opportunity to connect with others, to mobilize social support, your siblings, uh, also, you know, resources in the neighborhood. Um, and yeah. and yeah, and so and then you know, in the process of studying, for example, dementia, what to do with so-called challenging behaviors. Some don't like to use those <laughs> terms, but uh, then you know, there's always an organization like Alzheimer's mm-hmm. Association, uh, and you you take classes, and you get to know people who. Um, you know, know more about dementia and what to do with persons living with dementia. And so those are new connections you create, right? But, uh, you know, and that kind of help you grow if you can handle it. And there's a student actually in our uh, Dementia and Aging Studies Master's program. Actually, it's more than one. A few students who are in their, you know, middle life, you know, Midlife, they had a situation like you had a parent who had dementia, and they were in a position to drop other things and take care of the parent living with dementia, and they of course suffered greatly. For example, you know they uh, they didn't know what to do, and so they had to start taking some classes, look for things online, and <laughs> so on. But in, after the you know parents living with dementia uh, passed away, they looked back and thought about all of the growth that they had and then actually had a transition, almost a turning point to think about uh, another career, uh, learning about dementia and aging and be advocates Mm -hmm. for those who are in similar situations. And there are many others who are in a similar situation all around the world. Right, right. Let's, uh, yeah, a lot of the, I guess almost all relationships are somewhat bittersweet. You know, you know it's, it's not all bad. It's, it's um, I think that's something that one needs to learn. It's not all roses and it's not all thorns, I Very guess. Very true. Actually, I was going to touch upon that briefly, too. Well, so, yeah, <laughs> yes. And so I was going to, I was thinking about how women are more connected. You know, like I said, and that's why they may even have more conflict, you see, with the ones that they care for and give a lot to. Uh, so, you know, a social support system could, you know, of course, it's in a pos- it's, it's a positive term. And yet, through those connections, uh, co- you know, conne- conflicts could arise as well. Mm-hmm. Very true. Always, relationships are not just one way. It's, you know, uh, two ways. And uh, when, you know, it's not reciprocated, there could be resentment. Uh, and, um, yeah, expectations 
have to be discussed and so on. But when, yeah, so when you know relationships go sour, then really awful things can happen in very close relationships. Like, you know, intimate <laughs> violence could occur. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah. So the the term the the lens or the theoretical basis that you talk about life course perspective. So when when this is taught, or what you you have some goals and objectives for your students to leave with. So is it just not just, but is part of it that they learn that I don't know. <laughs> it's we know life is not static. It's transitory, and it it goes in ways we never really imagined. Is that, is that giving them some kind of basis for dealing with the, the changes sought or dropped on them? Is that? I think so. When I developed an undergraduate class from scratch, you know, called Life Course Sociology. Yeah, there were a few syllabi available um, nationally. And, and, but so I had to think about, okay, what is this course for? Mm -hmm. well, you know, what is it going to do my students? And so my department chair and I actually sat down to f fill out a form to develop, <laughs> to propose this new course. Right. And so I thought, so this course will help them think about their own lives that they have lived, and then maybe think ahead about what may come. So that's one thing. So implications for their own uh, life course, whether lived or to live. And then another thing is about uh, understanding others around them. Uh, because you know there are many uh, ways of living uh, lives, uh, so it, using the principles of the life course framework, they are able to understand how you know, linked lives can affect um, their lives. And, and so who are they linked to? And then they become grateful for their parents, for example, uh, and how their um, you know, single parents might have had so much trouble uh, and, you know, because they didn't have the other spouse to help raise them. And, and so, and then more broadly, you know, looking at their colleagues, uh, they, they will see older or younger generations uh, and their understanding of um, those who have experienced uh, historical events that they haven't experienced, you know, how they may have some different understanding of the world as well as uh, lives. And so they may interact with those who are from different generations a little better. Um, so that, that was one of the things that I thought of. And in fact, students do write in their reflection papers that I assigned towards the end of the semester that they were able to reflect on their lives, well, relatively short from my perspective. <laughs> but, and then they, they are going to be more careful when they select their spouses or partners and how hmm. they're going to use this kind of parenting style. And, uh, and some, well, not too many, uh, would say how they will try to reach out to their grandparents more. Uh, and they will also try to think about death and dying even, because that's how I end the course. Hmm. When you're talking about length in this opening, uh, under, improving understanding of each other, do you, do you broach subjects like transgender, 
those issues or that part of your Okay. I tried to, but I don't think I've covered that in this particular undergraduate class. But gender is mm. uh, something that is emphasized almost throughout. And so early on in the semester, I introduced the concept of uh, gender norms, gender socialization, okay. and gender segregation even. So I make students think back on the playground when they were children and, and you know, uh, ask them, if um, they were sort of separated based on gender and what were girls doing, what were boys doing, and how gender uh, overall has affected uh, their um, uh, in earlier lives. And almost always uh, students you know, post uh, things like how uh, um, I wasn't, like for girls, you know, I wasn't allowed to do things that my brothers were allowed to do. And in fact, yeah, more, <laughs> most of my students are female somehow. I guess they're the ones who are more interested in lives, oh, their own lives as well as others, because they're socialized to be mm -hmm. caring other people. But uh, so uh, female students often complain about the limitations that they had to face. And then some will say, I was a tomboy. Um, and then a few would uh, uh, come out and say how you know I was bullied, you know, I, because I I was not as you know masculine as as others. So you know, right. male students will say how gender did affect their lives when they didn't conform to the uh, masculine norms. Do you do you think? Mm -hmm. uh, I know we, we, is it? Yeah, let's, can we take a break and then come back Absolutely, to that I'll question? Absolutely, I'll come to that question. Thanks, okay. Ron. You are listening to Senior Centric here on KZSM.org, True Community Radio. And uh, we will be right back after this quick station ID break. And uh, just as a reminder, the views expressed on the show are those of the hosts, the guests, and not necessarily those of KZSM or SMTXCRA. We're going to be right back with Marianne Reese and our guest. Hey there, I'm Alex Winters, and I'm really excited to be playing for the Kissing Alley Concert Series on Thursday, May 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. in San Marcos, Texas. I hope to see you there. Are you interested in receiving information about a free mammogram to check for breast cancer? Community Action Incorporated can arrange for you to receive a free mammogram through one of our local medical partners. If you do not have medical insurance or live in a low-income household, if you're age 50 or older and need to receive your yearly mammogram, or if you're experiencing breast pain or any other concerning breast symptoms, please call us at 512-392-1161, extension 322 for Spanish or 342 for English. Or send us an email at breastcancerservices at communityaction.com. This has been a public service announcement brought to you by Community Action Incorporated of Central Texas and KZSM Community Radio in San Marcos, Texas. Come over to the Price Center in downtown San Marcos, Texas every first Tuesday of the month beginning May 2nd for the helpfully named First Tuesday SMTX Film Series. Doors open at 6.30 for pizza and beer, with films starting at 7. Tickets are $5 at the door, 
May's film will be Honky Tonk Heaven, a documentary of Austin's world-famous honky-tonk, The Broken Spoke. Winner of a 2016 South by Southwest Music Documentary Award, the director of the film will be in attendance. For more information, including the rest of the year's schedule, visit their website at firsttuesdaysmtx.com. Some of the great things going on in our community that we are happy to support. You are listening to KZSM.org, True Community Radio, here from San Marcos, Texas. We are live in the studio. And Marianne, it's back to you. Uh, when we took the break, I was going to ask you about uh, the socialization and the gender relationship. I've always, you know, you go to baby showers or something and you find out that it's going to be a little boy or a little girl. and you get a gift appropriate to that, that sex. Um, so how much, in your opinion, is socialized behavior, like grab, little boys gravitating toward trucks and guns, perhaps, or, and girls' dolls? Right. Of course, as a sociologist, <laughs> we emphasize the nurture part rather than nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, even you know my undergraduate students in life course sociology realize how a lot of it is nurture, how they used to be more tomboy-like, but then as they became uh, teenagers, they you know became more girlish, things like that. So I I would say a bigger portion of uh, gender differences is uh, due to gender socialization. I I think I agree. I. I have to share this because it, it has bothered me in some ways and tickled me in other ways. But many years ago as a teacher, I went to a, another teacher's, a public school teacher's uh, shower for her child. It was going to be a little girl. And I'm, my background is science, and I was a science teacher in the public schools before moving on. So I decided because of that and science that everyone just – just does do not like reptiles you know most reptiles of course you think of snakes and all that that they just don't you always get fluffy little rabbits and stuff so i purchased a plastic kind of soft of i think it was a tyrannosaurus rex and a gift for a little girl but i saw it more as a chewing and but in my mind they wouldn't be scared of it i mean it I don't think they would unless that was something really embedded in, in the genetic code. But, but they always kind of worried about me <laughs> that I did that. But I've heard months later that it was the favorite toy of the little girl. So. Is that right? So what do you think about that? My giving, um, not that, that I did it. But right. Yeah, that more people should do that, in my mind, because, you know, gender is so rigid uh, and limit ideas about gender being just feminine and masculine, dividing, you know, uh, behavioral expectations into just two camps. Um, That's very limiting for both boys and girls. And so disrupting uh, that concept is very helpful. Uh, and so, you know, uh, giving a Barbie doll to a little boy and then G.I. Joe a doll to a girl, right? right? So, you know, just crossing could make people wonder about why not or why? Why did we avoid, right? So, you know, deconstructing the concept of gender 
to the extent that we don't really think about somebody in the, on the basis of gender first. Mm-hmm. You know, that is more favorable in terms of human development. So I always see gender, that, that is more of a continuum. That's right. And Okay, well, good. Right. You, so, you've made me feel some, somewhat better. <laughs> yes. So, you know, initially we were told to define gender based on, as a social construct, socially constructed concept of femininity and masculinity. Mm-hmm. And as time went on, we were told to use plurals, like femininities and masculinities, because there's this hegemonic masculinity that's heralded as the best kind of masculinity, and then there are not-so-masculine men and and so on. But anyway, so it's to embrace diversity, how it's not just uh, two different camps uh, into which we have to mold ourselves to. So I, I see your course and those that take it, and hopefully more and more will, including guys, that really, I can see now really how that could expand one's thinking and their view of, of life and, and I guess of being. You know, I, I, I have a feeling it's too, too late for an older population to expand their understanding of this. You don't, you have hope? Of course, yes. <laughs> That's the sociologist in you. <laughs> yes, exactly, right. There's so much room for, well, we, we can use the word interventions, but that sounds mm-hmm. a little clinical, but there's just so much room. And, you know, so you play some music, right? So we tend to think of uh, uh, music uh, to be divided into different generations. So, you know, you, you, you like Beatles because, you know, you listen to it when you grew up, right, when you were coming uh, of age. But then, you know, I hear from a researcher who studies um, music and the life course and aging, how uh, the researcher found out that, you know, it, it really doesn't matter uh, what kind of music. It's like, you know, Different music introduced to older adults uh, could still be enjoyed. So um, we shouldn't just limit to, um, uh, you know, people's favorite music growing up being kind of stuck. So, So one of the papers that I'm still in the process of publishing is on uh, personal growth, and uh, it is... um, is uh, 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 an, uh, an analysis of uh, text um, of interviews with those who are um, 80s and above. And so in this group, I saw a lot of examples of continuous growth. Uh, so people still would like to improve themselves, and not all do, but those who do, uh, achieve in, uh, improvements. Of course, improvements are not just you know math skills or vocabulary, but it, it could be um, you know art. It could also be expanding one's identity to accept different cultures, different groups of people, and these things are happening. Yeah. yeah. And the purpose of the interviews. Um, uh, that provided data for me to analyze was not even about personal growth. And yet, I found out a lot of examples of personal growth 
uh, that uh, is sort of consistent with how with how personal growth is conceptualized by psychologists. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I, I think our time is running out, but I want to just pigtail on just a little bit of what you said because I think lifelong learning and the courses we offer, uh, especially when we without COVID, we're going back to in-person sessions and the socialization that goes on between uh, the, the participants or the people that choose to take our art class or art history class or uh, you know, we have a, a, a pretty good wide breadth of types of courses for them to engage in, a lot of hands-on art, um, bridge games. But I, I think that, but I want, I, sometimes I want more discussion and for people to really have to think deeper than just uh, social interactions. And I hope that some of our courses have and in the future will ask for people to expand their views of of everything, really. That so sounds great. That, you're helping me, you know, think about that as, as thinking through next classes and opportunities with senior-centric, possibly. But I want to thank you today for, for coming in, and, and you've given me a lot of good ideas and, and hope. Wow. And I thank you. <laughs> it's an honor. Thank you very much for yeah. inviting me. Well, you're welcome. Maybe another time we can talk again. Sure. All right. Yes, by all well, let's, means. we'll take another station break and come back for Becky and myself and on our health. And please, thank you all for joining us this afternoon. And uh, please, we're going to be back in just a minute. Hey, y'all, this is Diesel D, host of KZSM's Veterans Hour. I want to remind everybody that Soldier Songs and Voices is meeting every Monday at Cheatham Street Warehouse from 5 until 7 p.m. If you are a veteran or active service member of the Armed Forces and want to learn how to write songs and play guitar, stop by Cheatham Street Warehouse located at 119 Cheatham Street or visit us online at soldiersongsandvoices.com. Hey there, I'm Alex Winters and I'm really excited to be playing for the Kissing Alley Concert Series on Thursday, May 18th from 7 to 9 p.m. in San Marcos, Texas. Hope to see you there. Hello there, I'm Salwa Khan. On the next Mothering Earth, all about the renowned artist named Wyland. His amazing life-size murals of whales and his foundation which focuses on ocean and water conservation. Mothering Earth is your source for sustainable living news. And it's on KZSM, True Community Radio, 11 a.m. on the second and fourth Tuesdays. Frank Zappa said, so many books, so little time. Quiet, Groucho Marx observed, outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend. Inside of a dog, it's too dark to read. Quiet! To find out what others think about books, join Priscilla Vanselina on Tuesdays at 4pm on kzsm.org when she hosts Bookmarked, a program for real book people. Quiet, damn dog. On the radio, this is the Sweet Honey Bear Blues on Tuesday at 8 o'clock. Till 10 o'clock, you got me giving you what you just didn't know you needed. 
Raíces, Roots, hosted by Kathy Lara. Our past, our present, our future. Join the conversation. Hear the stories. Every Sunday at 7 p.m. right here on kzsm.org, your true community radio station in San Marcos, Texas. And tomorrow is Cinco de Mayo, and Kathy Laura got our uh, uh, bear here in the studio uh, that people can go by and take pictures, and we are all set for Cinco de Mayo here. It's I, I love uh, when people come by and stop, and the kids look up, and they want to take pictures, and this is part of how we're involved in the community. You're listening to kcsm.org, True Community Radio, and this is Senior Centric here, and I'll turn it back over to Marianne Reese. Welcome back, and Becky has joined me, and uh, I want want to start out by uh, mentioning to everyone that Senior Centric is going to take a summer hiatus uh, for the next month or two, and I think that'll work out with the plans for the station also. But when I started thinking about taking a break, uh, it caused me to reflect on what we've done, what's, how Senior Centric has been organized, uh, the, the segments that we offer, and just kind of reflecting on past senior-centric programs. And what I want to do is uh, kind of share those reflections, but I want you to try to keep up with me. I, I don't, sometimes you might know that when you reflect and think to yourself, you kind of wobble sometimes. So I've prepared kind of an outline for you. You don't have to take notes, just, just <laughs> listen. So I started out with these reflections, primarily on the, the the primary schema that, that I use to, I guess, kind of decide how to go forward with the programs, and those being those traits that I mention every time, curiosity and caring. So those are kind of the founding schema for senior-centric. So I want to reflect on those two terms, those traits a little bit. Then, then I'm going to talk about how senior-centric became primarily three segments, On Our Health, Do You Know, and then what you just heard with, with Hichi, uh, dealing with um, On Our Health, uh, well, I guess the first thing, certainly with her part, was I always start the program with an interview with someone from the community. Then we go on to On Our Health and time allowing maybe something about Do, do You Know. So the reflection started with, Curiosity, caring, it went to how I organized the program around those three segments. Then also along the way of uh, having our programs, there were two key questions that were asked several months ago that I want to talk about. And that's going to take us, believe it or not, to science and religion. And a bit of a reprise, reprise of chronic inflammation. Now that ought to put you, <laughs> scare you a bit, or, or hopefully not, not that, or, nor even confused. So, so let me start. Uh, as I said, I first started thinking about, so what does curiosity and caring, why did I choose those, those traits? And of course, curiosity, I think to most people, is a, a desire, and sometimes even a need, to, to learn, to know more, and just for the sake of knowing, of learning. Sometimes uh, curiosity will challenge you to um, impart on new adventures and experiences. And I think just as Hei Chi was talking about, or it's actually Yong He, her last name is Chi. 
Yong Ki was talking about this idea of expanding your views. So that's, to me, curiosity. And then the trait of caring really has two parts. And those being, uh, who's the recipient of the caring? In the first, we talk about caring for others. And primarily, that's just treating everybody, every person that you come across, you meet, or interact with, with compassion or concern or interest. And no matter who they are or where they live or where they come from. The second aspect of caring is caring for yourself. And to me, that means knowing and once knowing, making beneficial choices, uh, beneficial to your well-being. And that circles back to caring. One of the things about caring for others that a lot of research supports is that if you do it by choice, if you care out of your compassion for others, it actually reduces your stress. It can increase your happiness. And again, as Young, he was talking, uh, it increases your sense of connectedness. So that's kind of the way I interpret then and now those framing schema, curiosity and caring. Now, adding my background, and I mentioned again, and some of you know I have a science background, and putting that science background in context with senior-centric, it led me to realize that the curiosity I'm talking about and that motivates me the most are specifically questions about the physical world. And that leads me to science. Uh, science is, I think, again, most of you would say that science is not a noun, but it's a verb. Science is a process. It's an organized process that's reproducible. And it's a process that seeks answers to very specific questions. To me, that's science. And um, when I look at, you know, I talk about science being, you could also Google, I guess, also against your science. Okay, now caring, when I go to think about caring, it's more about, I think, um, hmm, morality and spirituality. And in many respects, and I think maybe in all respects, that's really religion. Uh, it's looking and not looking at the physical world naturally, but more the supernatural world and how it connects religion to the natural world. So it's the connection. Religion broaches the supernatural to the natural. Again, these are my opinions and these are my thoughts. Okay, so given these thoughts about caring and curiosity leading me to see a difference or being able to pose a difference between science and religion, all of the segments of Do You Know and On Our Health deal with science. They are science-based. The curiosity that I've offered is about more about, well, I think most of the sessions we've had have been really about the human body. Uh, the, the community guest episodes are really more dealing with caring, trying to understand people more, and I think, again, young, he did a really good job in the, the sociological aspect of looking at human nature and, and that we need to broaden our views. Uh, anyway, so 
we've gone from curiosity to caring to science and, and really looking at um, science looking more at the physical world. And that's what I offer, I think, and hope in uh, on our health segments. Now, th here's, here's the deal. That sounds like President Biden, I think. He uses that term a lot. Do you hear that? No, here's the deal. Do you hear that, Rob? Okay. <laughs> oh, well, when I said it, it made me think of him and for whatever reason. But, but here's why all of this uh, comes together in these really two questions or two suggestions put to me. One was minimize or reduce somewhat all of the detail that I offer in the science sections. And the second one was to consider strongly ditching the term evolution, which is, of course, a science term. And I absolutely agree that I've been doing too much detail on the science aspect. But when it comes to ditching key fundamental theories within science, I can't do it. Evolution is a word I will speak and speak proudly because I believe there's enough supporting evidence behind it and information it provides that explains so much and Perhaps doing so makes it more important to a person to know and make better decisions. So here's very the specificity of now what I'm talking about. Okay, evolution, we're basically going to say that it's a process by which all life forms adapt over successive generations to better exploit their environment, the environment in which they live. That's the definition of evolution uh, that I think is well accepted and certainly true. So when most everything that I've talked about, as I said, in On Our Health has been about chronic inflammation. And that's been the overarching focus of almost every episode I've done. And I agree, and sometimes in too much detail. But I've done it, and I've offered uh, all of this on chronic inflammation. Basically, as I've mentioned before, the World Health Organization ranks chronic inflammation or inflammatory diseases 60% uh, of the world population dies from an inflammatory disease. This is via the World Health Organization. Thus, it's being the greatest threat to human health. And these diseases we've talked about before, and you know them, I hope. It, we're talking about stroke, chronic respiratory diseases, heart disorders, various cancer, cancers, obesity, diabetes, and Alzheimer's disease. Now, to understand how the world got to this place where 60% of all deaths are related to inf chronic inflammatory diseases. We need to understand where we came from. We need to compare our current lifestyle to th our, that of our ancient ancestors. And I know that might make people wiggle a little bit, but it's knowing that our body's systems, all of them adapted to and best function in 
the environment that existed over six million years ago in Africa. Humans, Homo sapiens, and by the way, that's Latin, homo for man, and sapiens for knowledgeable or wise, first evolved in Africa around six million years ago. Um, six to eight million years ago, there was a common ancestor between humans. Humans are in the genus, that's a, a classification term, genus homo, man. But the great apes are in the same family, the hominids, as the humans are. Family, genus, species. So the great apes are our closest relationships in terms of DNA. Specifically, the chimpanzee has 98. Some people say 98, up to 98.8 percent of the same DNA that you and I have. Again, humans, genus Homo species sapiens, branched off from this group, the great apes, of, again, between six and eight million years ago. That might, this is kind of an aside, but when you talk, of, or I say that the chimpanzee has about 98 plus percent of our DNA, that makes you understand why chimpanzees were the first animal into space, why chimpanzees have been used for research. You might then ask, well, why do we use rats and mice and fruit flies? And the answer would be because uh, <laughs> even bananas have 60% of the DNA we have and rats 67%. So the commonality is very strong. The lineage is there, is very strong. Okay, so I'll take you back to Africa and... Can we take a quick station break before we, we go back to Africa and then come back after that? Okay. Do a quick station ID break. You're listening to Senior Centric here on San Marcos, uh, Texas Community Radio, KZSM.org. And uh, the views expressed on this show are those of the hosts, the guests, and not necessarily those of SMTX or uh, SMTXCRA or KZSM. We'll be right back. Texas River Tonk airs live Fridays from noon to 2 p.m. on KZSM. They spin new music from up-and-coming artists as well as deep cuts from country greats. Within studio interviews and performances, Texas River Tonk is bringing you music straight from the source and letting you know where to see these artists live at upcoming shows. Don't miss Texas River Tonk Fridays noon to 2 on KZSM, True Community Radio. Dreamer, I'm dreaming all day long. I'm an it's almost Monday night, y'all. You know what that means? That means Vinyl Confessions, live here on KZSM, hosted by none other than The Wiz, who says he's calling all brothers and sisters and children of the night to join us on the random journey of life. Playing anything vinyl, one never knows what they're going to hear. You know where I'll be Monday night? I will be howling at the moon, listening to those cracks, hisses, and pops, along with those Kellogg's boys. Vinyl Confessions, only here on KZSM, San Marcos True Community Radio, the little station heard around the world. And we're back with you here in the studio with uh, Marianne Reese and Senior Centric. 
We left talking about chimpanzees being our closest relationship DNA-wise. They are not in the same genus, though, as, as man, Homo sapiens. They're in a different genus. There have been, at least the paleontologists, as they examine bones and fossil remains, show that there were probably eight or nine different, different species of Homo, of man. None of those exist except ours, Homo sapiens. Um, one other thing I want to say about chimps before I head on out of that conversation is that chimps are not to be perceived as undeveloped humans. They, they really are their own genus, their own track. So it's, they're not, they just have come off a similar lineage as we do. All right, I just wanted to do the right homage to the chimps out there. Okay, I guess you might be wondering, because a lot of us have cats and dogs, uh, cats have about 90% of our DNA and dogs tend to have the same genes about, mm, I think 82%, cows 80%, but I, I will not keep going on that line. But again, that's why research is done on these animals because they are so similar in genetic makeup to us. And again, as Rob said, we, we went to Station Brack like fruit flies and some of these rats, they certainly reproduce much more quickly. And chimps are, are now on the endangered list, and most chimps, unless there, there are some that are still in federal research labs that have not been returned to, uh, to a more normal life. There's still some out there, but very few are mm. being used now for ethical reasons for research. Um, so the bottom line on this, almost all human remains are, are found, the most human remains that have been found have been found in Africa. And that's between two and six million years ago. Of course, we know after that, there are different ice ages, land migration, and populations moved out and back into Europe and Asia and Eurasia. So obviously we do not live in Africa and certainly not six million years ago up to two million years ago. But the idea that our key systems adapted, evolved in Africa under the environmental, the environment that you can already uh, see in your mind's eye, the food, not a lot of fire and red meat was not eaten. It was mainly a vegetable fruit based diet all of these kind of uh, environmental factors were very different than the life we live now. So that brings us to the idea that our system that was very adaptive then is now maladaptive. It's, it is our lifestyle. It's, um, again, processed foods. Stress is not... Uh, just episodic stresses ongoing for most of us, especially if you're working and even if you're retired, there's stress and so uh, so many things that stress us. So the systems that I'm really talking about that are now maladaptive, that, that they do not function well for us. In fact, they are causal factors in chronic inflammation. Our immune system that is supposed to heal wounds now is causing tissue damage and ongoing with chronic inflammation. The stress response, which was we then or used it or referred to it historically as fight or flight, 
that now is referred to as the stress response because we stress basically the hormone cortisol is for so many of us is being released consistently rather than episodically due to an, an episodic event. I'm going to kind of step aside. I like these little aha moments that, Becky, have you had, ever had butterflies before you did a presentation or a... Always. Okay. <laughs> I do always too. But do you know what causes them? The adrenaline? <laughs> and, and it's part of that immune system working in tandem with the stress response, but it's the cortisol. It's the stress response. So you're stressing out. And what cortisol does is part of the fight or flight. It, it uh, re, re, I guess, reduces the amount of blood flow to unimportant systems like digestive. If you're under threat, you're, you're not going to be worried about digesting your food. So when the cortisol cuts down or reduces the blood flow to the gut, it's the blood flow reduction that causes the butterflies. That's cool. That's cool. There's some really cool things in this besides yeah. just yeah. hard facts. Okay, the other systems we've talked about, immune system, stress system, our gut microbiome that's been getting a lot of press, and so should it, mainly because a lot of people call it our second brain. There are a lot of researchers now saying, really, it's our first brain. The gut biome in your, the lining of your gut, with colon, small intestines, up through the stomach, is has as many nerve cells in it as your spinal cord system does. It has millions of nerve cells in there. It functions like a brain, that, thus that part. It has probably, I think the, the term I've seen too often is 39 trillion in our gut bacteria, primarily bacteria, but there can be some parasites, fungi in there, but mainly bacteria. And But most of them are uh, symbiotic. They work with us. They, are, they help produce a lot of our vitamins, help uh, break down foods that we don't have the enzymes to do so. There's more serotonin produced in your gut than in your brain that that affects your mood and depression. It also, over serotonin will cause you to feel nauseous. It sends a system up the vagus nerve, that's the connection between the gut and the brain, up to the vagus nerve, through the vagus nerve, back of the head, the cranial, well, into the brain. And the brain interprets that signal from serotonin, this time as nausea. Hmm. Uh, it can also, the gut causes vomiting. Uh, it sends signals via the vagus nerve as well as some hormones. And all of this then, it's a conversation going on from the gut to the brain. 90% uh, of the nerves in the gut part, 90% are afferent. That means they move, they run up to the brain. Only 10% of the nerves go from the brain to the stomach. Your sense of hunger and, and satiety that you're full, all of that starts with hormones in the gut, sends the message up to your brain, and the brain says, oh, I'm full, interprets that neurotransmitter hormone in that way. The gut biome, our gut microbiome is terribly important. It really is the difference between health and sickness, both mentally as well as physically. The gut biome is something most important. 
circadian rhythm has been changed by, again, we grew up in an environment where you woke with the sun and slept with the, the moon or the darkness. Uh, that circadian rhythm is, affects our sleep. Uh, we talked about the four non-REM cycle, the cycle of sleeping with non-REM as well as REM cycles. Uh, I think the advantage there, having cycles, like when we sleep, we go through maybe five to six different 90-minute on average cycles. Uh, so the advantage basically there is that you're awake. You go from light sleep to a deep sleep where you're dreaming and the mind is taking care of memory, solidation, but you can wake up if attacked or uh, threatened. So that they think that's part of that. A key, key interesting thing about this, the circadian rhythm in us now is that babies do not, uh, the hormones that control the circadian rhythm do not uh, develop until about three months of age. So there's no pattern. And I think a lot of mothers and fathers would like to, you don't expect them to sleep because they have nothing telling their brain to go to sleep. And those, you know, there are two specific hormones that go, go to sleep, and then cortisol says, wake up. I so that's a kind of an interesting little thing. Okay, two minutes, and I'm going to finish up by saying the other thing that, that chronic inflammation impacts drastically is the brain. And again, you can see that as you see dementia and Alzheimer's on the, the rise. And it's affecting the, your emotional part of the amygdala of the brain, at the reward system, uh, just every, the, the behaviors that, that Yong He uh, talked about are because the brain is infected or can be infected. That's much of what's being studied right now. And I'll end by saying that this one particular factor called the brain-derived neurotrophic factor is one of the hottest hormones now being studied by researchers because it targets perhaps therapeutics for Alzheimer's disease. And guess where this hormone is, is uh, produced? The, the gut. <laughs> yes. So I want to say one thing about religion and science is that I do see a huge and important commonality. They both have the ability to bring wonder and awe into your life. So um, I wish you a awe and wonder-filled summer. Bye-bye. Right. Sweet. And uh, we will be taking a hiatus here on Senior Centric uh, for the summer, so uh, please plan on coming back. And thank you for tuning in here to Senior Centric on KCSM.org. There's